0: came in late just so that you know when you see this down the hallway when you're getting coffee um the session has been praying really for like a year and um we're going to enclose the basketball court because the youth ministry is exploding uh and so we'll be able to use it for all kinds of things so you can see the diagrams and all that that are out there uh we pray for a number every year which god has exceeded in the month of december and giving so we're praying for a million dollars this year if we don't get that that's he says no that's fine if we do it'll allow us to pay cash for that and not have to borrow any more money so if you hear chatter going on and you came in a little late that's probably uh, what it was about let's go super super um, familiar text this morning we look at the temptation of Jesus Um, Alistair Begg one of my heroes that that I quote a lot told his people when he preached this text Uh, It is beyond him as a preacher. Look at me. If it's beyond Alistair Begg, (laughs) it is light years uh, beyond the one that God has called to stand behind this pulpit and preach to you. There's so much going on. I mean, it's a lot. Uh, There are obvious glimpses to the fall in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 that we'll see. There are obvious ties to the nation of Israel uh, and their wanderings and their testing in the wilderness. And so here's the way that we're going to approach the text. With with all the redemptive historical notes going on, um, this is how temptation works in Genesis 3 and in Luke chapter 4. Think about it with me like this. It's kind of like the season that we just finished, um, election season. I don't know... About you, but I love when election season is over uh, because of the months that we have to spend prior to being forced to watch campaign ad commercials. Um, I've noticed this this trend that goes on, and tell me if, if you've noticed this. The incumbent will come out and say whether it's the governor or the senator or whatever it be, and by the, this is all hypothetical. Don't think I'm talking about somebody I'm not. If it ends up uh, similar and related, it's just because this is the way it works. The incumbent will come out first and say, you know me. Look at what I've done for the last four years. You can trust me. Look at all the progress we've made. We're in a far better place. Let's keep going. I approve this message. I don't know why everybody keeps saying that. And then their opponent will come out And begin to air their commercials and say the exact opposite of what the incumbent just said. We don't even know him. We can't trust him. In the last four years, they've done nothing. We are in worse shape now than we were then. We have to change everything or we're all doomed. The incumbent comes back with a new ad. You do know me. I'm from here. We all grew up together. So-and-so is not one of us. And their campaign took hundreds of millions of dollars from aliens. And then the challenger will say, never addressing any of that. It's just mudslinging now. Do you know how much of a raise the incumbent gave himself and his staff last year? Did you get that kind of raise? That raise was given with your money. If you elect me, I will ensure that your money stays where it belongs in your pocket. The incumbent now comes back, never talking about the self-imposed raise, and will say, my opponent who is not from here is anti-America. And they are against fracking and offshore drilling and harnessing our own renewable resources while we purchase them from our enemies, fattening their wallets while laying off thousands of Americans. I will keep this from happening. The challenger never responds to that. Now the conversation turns to the environment. The incumbent is anti-climate and anti-science and anti-everything else that you want me to say that I need to say in order to get your vote. Just vote for me. Then the incumbent says, no, 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 no. vote for me. You can trust me. You can't trust him. And the challenger comes back and says, no, 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 vote for me. You can trust me. You can't trust him. And that goes on and on and on. And and if you've ever tried to be fair, which is impossible, you sit there so confused thinking, who do we believe? (laughs) I was watching an ad a month ago when I wrote this sermon and it hit me. That is exactly the way temptation works, right? Who do we believe? You're going to believe one of two voices. You're going to believe what he says in his word, or you're going to believe the lies of the enemy. Now, before we get into this text... And I think you have to think about it this way. We, we think of, of, of Satan, you know, this, this caricature and, and horns and a t- all this stuff. I think the best depiction of Satan ever, and I can't recommend the movie because it's rated R and that would be a terrible thing to do from the pulpit. Don't watch it this afternoon. The best um, characterization of Satan ever was in the movie The Devil's Advocate with Al Pacino. When we come to this text, that's what you need to think of. You need to think of slick, savvy, charming $10,000 Armani suit. Yo, God plainly says in his word, and then Satan comes along and challenges what he says like this Is that really what he said? Do you think that's really what he meant? Are you going to believe that? Answer me this. Can God be a good and loving God and allow that in your life right now? Are you sure about that? No, you need to listen to me. He, he's holding out on you. I am the one who wants what's best for you? For your happiness and your prosperity and your pleasure. Listen to me. Trust to me. Vote for me. All you got to do is obey me. Y'all, that's how it works. <clears throat> All temptation revolves around which voice will we listen to? The voice of God or the voice of the devil? Now for grace to aid us because y'all... We face temptation every minute of every day, so it could not be more applicable in any of our lives than it is this morning, right? Let's take our Bibles. Stand together out of reverence for God in this portion of his word. Let's get him up, as Jeff would say already. The fact that y'all listen. Luke chapter 4 will be in verses 1 to 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. In opportune time, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, we, we, we really need <clears throat> the graces and the, and the truth and, and the Spirit's aid from this text um, because as has already been prayed this morning, we know our, we are weak and we are broken and we so easily will listen to the wrong voice. And so, uh, would you impress it uh, upon our hearts and in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. You may be seated. Before we look at the three temptations, I want to show you the significance of the setting because it's important. Um, There's something big in the setting of the text that really draws out the, the redemptive historical importance of the text. And so, before we even get to verses 1 and 2, we got to go back to the last verse of the genealogy of chapter 3. The son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So, really what we're about to see in the temptation of Jesus is Jesus is going to fulfill everything that Adam failed in Eden. The second Adam will restore everything that the first Adam lost. That's big. That's the entire reason for the incarnation. So he's picking up where Adam left off in his garden failure. But Jesus, as you probably know, isn't only the the new Adam, the second Adam. Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is the new Israel. Israel. Jesus is the spiritual Israel, he and his followers. So everywhere that Israel fails in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, Jesus will succeed. Those are the, the, the two full things that we see going on as Jesus fulfills everything where they failed. And so uh, it's, it's not to be lost on us that as Israel crosses the Red Sea and then ends up in the wilderness to be tempted for 40 years, Jesus comes from his baptism and is led straight into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. Don't miss that. That's what it's telling us. He is about to fulfill everywhere that they failed because he is the true Israel. Now with all of that, look with me at verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So this is God's doing. Um, this area is known as the desolation. There's nothing there. It is a complete wasteland. He's led there by the spirit for 40 days being tempted by the devil. We can, we can say something here. Um, the devil is real. The devil is, is personal. The devil is a fallen angel, um, The goal and purpose of the devil is to destroy you. You need to know that. Uh, Preachers spend about 15 minutes right here on whether or not a believer can be possessed. They can't. Um, Satan and the spirit can't inhabit the same place, so there's no need to spend 15 minutes there. But you need to know he exists and his goal is to ruin and destroy you. For the entirety of 40 days, he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. This is the way I read the text, and most commentators agree. Jesus has been tempted the entirety of the 40 days. He's been fasting. Satan is tempting him. We're we're two days shy of six weeks without food at this point. He's laying aside his, his rights to use his divine sovereign powers. We, we see the fullness of his humanity on display. He's, he's starving. He would be weak in the flesh. He's famished. He's closer to death, one commentator said. He is closer to death here than he will be anywhere else in his life until we get to Calvary. Like you, just, you have to feel the intensity of just the physical suffering. And he's being tempted the entire time by Satan. How did we get to the wilderness again, right? Jesus is in the wilderness without food, alone, in a place of desolation. Being tempted by the same devil that tempted Adam in the complete opposite of circumstances. In a garden, full stomach, boundless provisions, and is not alone, but is with his wife. How did we end up from Eden to the wilderness? Because of Adam's failure. Because of the expulsion from Eden into the wilderness. So Jesus has to pick up in the wilderness, in order to be obedient so that you and I could regain the position that we lost in terms of our relationship with the Father. That's why we're in the wilderness. It's not an accident. Jesus is in the wilderness beginning his mission to restore everything that Adam lost for us. Now let me, let me drop an application here and then we'll get to the temptations themselves. Y'all, whether it's in the wilderness or in the garden, the enemy's coming. When it comes to sanctification, there are no days off. There are no vacation days. There are no sick days. When it comes to our battle with sin, I'll tell you how messed up I am. There, there, there are times when I can look at a calendar and be like, if I hit a foul ball here, I have enough times to get things back on track by here. Like if I was going to take a day trip to the foreign country, th- Tuesday would be a good time to do it. Y'all, there are no days off. <laughs> the great Charles Spurgeon said this, He will come against us when we are sad. He will come against us when we're alone. He will come against us when we are lonely or sick or ill or poor or suffering great loss. Or when we are spiritually striving. When you have a heavy load to carry, he will tempt you. And when that load is taken off, then he will tempt you worse than ever. Y'all, in the garden of our lives or in the wilderness, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for those to destroy. And we are fools if we don't recognize that. In the garden, in the wilderness, y'all, we can rest when we get to glory and not a second beforehand. This life is not rest time. It is a calling from the onset for those who are in Christ to have a constant, vigilant watchfulness over your lives. All right, so here we go. First temptation. The significance of the first temptation towards God's goodness. This is really a temptation for Jesus to deviate from God's will. He's been tempted, I believe, for 40 days. And so it'd be like in a boxing match, we're in the 12th round, there's 30 seconds left, and these are the last three shots. These are the big ones. The devil said to him in verse 3. Again, Armani suit, well-fed, lacking nothing. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, if we look back uh, in our study of the gospel of Luke already, we've already read in 338 uh, and in chapter or verse 22 of the same chapter. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Do not miss this. This is one of the ways that Satan works. Who has already declared Jesus to be God's son? The father has. So the first thing that Satan's gonna do is say, if you, "Is that really who you are? The first thing that he would do when he tempts you is to doubt the word of God. And here's how he does it. This is how subtle he is. This is Satan's campaign commercial. If you're God's son, I mean, let's take a look around. You're hungry? You're in the wilderness? You're alone? Permit me to say, you don't look like God's son. I mean, surely God wouldn't put his son in a position like this. If he did, could we really believe that he's good? I mean, Jesus, does this look good to you? Are these the accommodations? Is this why you came? This what you signed up for? I'll tell you what, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. Now, that's not much of a temptation for you and I, because we can't do that, but he could have. Just convince me. Y'all... One deviation from God's will, and our entire salvation is ruined. It had to be complete, perfect obedience. Jesus replies It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It's very interesting that all three times that Jesus replies, it's from the book of Deuteronomy. He's repeating the law. He's repeating where Israel failed in the wilderness, if you want to look it up later. Man shall not live by bread alone. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, the first three verses... Israel complained and Israel grumbled and we're hungry and we'd rather be back in Egypt. What does the Father do? Feeds them with manna. It teaches them that they don't live by bread alone, by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So, in essence, what Jesus is saying to Satan is this: You might not remember this, but back in Deuteronomy, my father let them hunger. He is letting me hunger. And his word will sustain me until he degrees otherwise. Here's where there's grace for us before we move on. And we are so, nobody would admit this, but we do this. We are so apt to gauge God's goodness to us in our lives based on our circumstances, right? Don't raise your hands, we all do it. When everything's great, God is great. When the train leaves the track, we're like, hold on a minute. (laughs) We thought you were good. Y'all, it's in those times when you've got this circumstance, whereas it was to stay with the illustration, by faith, you're going to have to trust in which commercial, in which word, in which voice you're going to believe. Are you going to believe this one that says he's always good? Or are you going to listen to the whispers of the enemy that are going to say, come on, he can't be good? You know, we, there are things we sing that I wonder if we ever really realize what we're singing. <laughs> like this one. Whatever my lot. Whatever my lot. You have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You know what we're saying every time we sing that? We're going to trust his word. We're going to trust that he's good. We're going to trust that he's faithful. The first temptation is to insubordination in distrust of the will of the Father. Brian Chappell said here, Gospel faith, trust God to provide rather than making decisions based on the urgency of the situation. That stings, doesn't it? Let me repeat it. <laughs> Gospel faith, trust God to provide rather than making decisions based on the urgency of the situation. We had a staff meeting this week and we're doing, we, we do two a month and we're the first one now that we're doing is business. And then the second one is more devotional with the staff. And Philip led his first one. And we're reading this book uh, that he picked out. I don't remember what it's called. I think it's called Walking by Faith. Uh, so I'll remember it and tell it. It's really, really good. Each chapter is three pages. So it's awesome. Um, but we ended, we discussed the chapter. And we ended by going around the table. And you were supposed to pray for the staff member to your right. Which that's a great idea. But I'm already thinking in my mind. Great. I mean, what's going to happen to so-and-so who's not going to want to, they're going to quit. I mean, they're they're not even going to do it. They're going to feel uncomfortable, they're going to quit. And he goes, hey, if you're nervous, because this is the first time we've done this, if you're nervous, I want to give you one sentence that you can pray for the person to your right. All you have to do is pray this one sentence. And it was a theme of the chapter. Um, And so let's say Wally was next to me and I'm too nervous to pray. He would say, Randy, you can just pray this. God, would you let Wally live this week by what your word says and not what his eyes see. How applicable is that in our everyday life when it comes to our lots, right? Where are we distrusting his word and goodness and everything in us desires to scheme, to bring about different circumstances instead of waiting and trusting and living by what his word says, instead of what our eyes see. The temptation is to provide for ourselves outside of the Father's will. we We are called to trust in God's provision and timing in both plenty and in want. Jesus refuses to take matters into his own hands. I mean, let that settle in. Second temptation, the temptation of idolatry. So now it's a temptation to false worship. If you go through the Old Testament, one of, if not the main place that Israel failed in the wilderness and really throughout their entire existence was regarding the issue of idolatry, right? I mean, it's like every page, there's a new idol. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Okay, b- because of that last phrase in a moment of time, um, I don't think this is literal and physical. I think he's being shown a vision. And I think, I think the enemy is showing him all the existing kingdoms and empires and all the ones up to today in a span of time. Like here's the West, here's America, here's this. Here's all of them. Here are their flags waving in the air with with the vastness of of their power and their pomp and their, their influence and their wealth. And the devil says, look, I will give you all of this authority and all of this glory for it's been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I will. And we're like, hold on a minute. No, 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 wait. He can't say that. Yes, he can. Don't have time to go there. But in John 12, 31 and 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and Revelations thirteen two, it is. You can have all the kingdoms, all the rulers, all the, all the governments of the world. They will fling open wide their gates and welcome you in as the Messiah, as the Son of God. Because that's what you want, right? Isn't that why you came? I mean, we can have every knee bow and every tongue confess right now. J- just one thing. If you will just just bow down once, nobody's looking. We're in the wilderness. Nobody's looking. Just just once. Just bow down once and say it and worship me, and I'll give it all to you. Like you know, this is the thing that got him kicked out of heaven, right? (laughs) Still hasn't changed. We can be partners. Jesus answers again from the book of Deuteronomy, verse 6, or verse 8. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It's interesting that you say that because in my father's word, this is what he says about worship, y'all. You know, this temptation to to immediate gratification, to to shortcutting the ways of God, the the crown without the cross. We would say, could anything be more relevant for our day and age? Our kids are ruined by this instantaneous gratification, right? Like we are children, you know, what interest, it, you know what instantaneous gratification was for people my age? And that means like I'm coming up on 50 in a couple of months. We're getting old. If, if you're in that same boat, it doesn't feel like it. We are. You know what instant gratification was? A microwave oven. <laughs> 30 to 60 seconds. That's an eternity to our kids. They don't wait 30 to 60 seconds for anything. You post something on this, and you post something and immediately you get a verdict and a judgment, right? I was talking to the friend that I've met up the street working out, and we were talking about he's a business owner. And we were talking about, he's trying, he's like, man, if you know any college students who are about to come out of college, I'm, I got to hire like three, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, man, it's hard to find kids with a work ethic this day and age. And he goes, yeah, he goes, let me tell you what's hard to find. He goes, every single one I interview thinks they're going to come out and make a hundred grand. And I started laughing. He goes, I'm not kidding. And he said, I'm looking at them like, what's wrong with y'all? Yo, this is what Satan is saying to Jesus. Look, there doesn't have to be a death. He doesn't want that. You're his son. He doesn't want you to die. There doesn't have to be a death. There doesn't have to be beatings. There doesn't have to be a crucifixion. Is it what you want? All the empires and worship? We can bypass all that. That can all be yours now. If you just once, just for a second, will worship me. It is a lot of Christianity to the point. Immediate glory, no suffering, no battling sin, no striving for holiness, no mortification, no pain, no suffering. God wants you to be happy and prosperous and healthy and holy. You know who that sounds like? Satan. Y'all, all of that is lies from the devil. You know, it's weird that you want me to, to have all that Satan because it's interesting that... that that we're called in here to take up our cross and follow him. (laughs) The last thing, the temptation of putting God to a test. And I would weave, and this is, this is this is the last shot. And this is where Satan, Satan knows God's word better than you do. And he'll take it and he'll quote it word for word. He took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Now, before we go on, this is important because the Jews had an expectation at the time that the Messiah would appear to the people on top of the temple. You can do a spectacular feat and everyone will know for sure that you're the son of God. If you just throw yourself off the top of the temple, you can stand up there. You can show them that you're the Messiah because that's where the that thing's going to happen. And then if you throw yourself off, you know, Jesus, uh, this has been a great conversation. I, it seems like you've been in Deuteronomy a lot. In my devotional time, Satan would say, I've been in the Psalms. And you know what your daddy says in the Psalms? For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you and guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Don't you believe Him? He said it. Don't you believe Him? Just jump. He's not going to let anything happen to you. You're a son, right? Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6.16. Satan context is kind of important. (laughs) It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. One of the favorite attacks of the enemy, twisting and 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 out of context misinterpreting the word of God. It does say that. Don't you trust him? He says you can you can you can put yourself in his hands. Nothing's gonna happen to you. You know, Jesus doesn't say this here, but He knows it to be true. <laughs> you know, Satan Those verses are going to be fulfilled. But it's going to be at the cross. Those verses are going to be fulfilled. I will put my life in his hands when I cry out. Into your hands I commit my spirit. But it won't be a foolish test. Because when I breathe my last breath on Good Friday, he will raise me from the dead on Easter Sunday. It's just not time yet. I would write this down if I were you and I'm about to say, I can't remember who said it. The important thing is that it wasn't me. Whoever says it, that's fine. I did not say it. Something doesn't have to be true to be devastating in our lives. Just believed. Let me rewind that one. Something doesn't have to be true to be devastating in our lives. It just has to be believed. He begins attacking God's goodness with Jesus' identity. Can you really be his son? Can he really be good? I mean, look at your lot. Y'all, if you don't know who you are, if you don't know your identity in Christ, you are in grave danger. Especially you students. Let me save you tons of scars. Tons of scars. You can believe who he says you are, united to Christ in his word. Or you can try to go get it out there. An identity that you're searching for that it cannot give you that will ruin you. It is imperative that you know and you cling to and you believe to who the scriptures say that you are in Christ. When it comes to idolatry and materialism and power and pleasure and authority, the question is will we bow the knees of our heart and mind and will to the world or will we be content with God's providential care over our lives? And when it comes to putting God to the test, can we rest in what God's word says or do we foolishly test him? Like I have heard with my own ears, people say things like this. I know I'm not supposed to do this. I know I'm not supposed to marry him. I know I'm not supposed to go there. God, if it's not your will, do something to stop it. That's called putting the Lord your God to a fool's test. If he says it's a no and you're a believer and they're not, guess what? You can't marry them. It's easy. And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. But everything in us so wants what we want. God, if you really love us and you're really good and and you're really for us and you really want me to do the right thing, just stop me from doing this. Seriously? We'll close with verse 31. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. When is the opportune time? <laughs> I think it's Gethsemane. That is the last assault. Is now we're back in the garden. Where the first Adam failed. If your daddy is really that good, do you really think he wants you to drink this cup? Surely not. Have you looked in there? Have you seen all the things that they've done? He can't want you to do that. Y'all, here's the point and I think the grace for us. He will depart, but he's coming back. Because he wants nothing more than your utter ruin and destruction. So, how do we stand against these assaults? <clears throat> um, God has so graciously given us two things, right? We fill ourselves with the knowledge of his word. If 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 we are not daily feeding on the word of God you are such easy prey it's silly What does Jesus combat the enemy with every single time God's word says this God's word says this God's word says this if you're not in it and don't know it what are you fighting with like you're done And you will notice throughout Scripture that the Word goes hand in hand with the Spirit. You are indwelt with the Spirit of God if you're in Christ. And so when we're tempted, we go to Jesus who has been tempted with every sort of temptation known to man and remain faithful and say, all right, I'm filled with the Spirit. I've been in the Word. Now I'm coming to you because I need help because you understand. I was watching as you were, I'm sure, games last night. And I had this in my sermon notes, and then literally it was the last thing I saw before I called today and went to bed. You know those, those new trendy commercials that are trying to be relevant that end um, with He Gets Us? Be you seen those? I get, get nauseated every time I see that. It'll be, their intentions are probably well, um, but the Christology is so low, that's what drives me crazy. And so this one was like a, a broken family around the dinner table and it's Christmas dinner and like the son's fighting with his dad in the front yard and, and the whole thing's a disaster and it's like, don't worry about it. Jesus's family was a disaster. He gets us, you know, wink, wink. Why don't we think of Jesus who gets us rather like this? The one who emerges out of the wilderness, The one who endures the cross, the one who marches out of the grave, is seated on a throne in heaven, reigning with a scepter. That's the one who gets us. And the reason why he gets us is because every place that you've been tempted and every place that I have been tempted, he triumphed. He gets us because he faced it and he won and he remained faithful where you and I were faithless. So of course we get in his word and we saturate our spirits with it and we go to him in prayer because he has promised to be with us to the very end of the age. Whatever you, oh, you don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand what his temptations were like. Of course he gets it. He gets it more than you get it. He's seen it. He's defeated it. Go to him and be honest. There are so many times I've prayed, all right, let's be real. I need grace and obedience to be more palatable to me right now than this sin I want to chase. He usually answers that one. Or I make a bad decision. And when you fail, you go right back to him and you start fighting again. I'll leave you with this. I was in my daily devotional reading this week. I'm still doing the one-year Bible. I'm way off track because I started like in the middle of the year, so it makes me feel better that I'm not exactly on the date. I, I would suggest that if you're going to do it anyway, like start in March. Um, I was, this is your homework assignment. This is what I want in my life, and, and this, is, this is gold. This is from Psalm 21.6. I read this on Thursday, and I'm, I've still been feeding my soul with it. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. Yo, that's the word. That's the commercial. We can believe that. You want what I want in your heart of hearts, joy and gladness. And so I think the homework assignment of the text, as we saturate ourselves in the word, as we rely on the power of the spirit, as we go to Jesus, is for grace to believe that anything else that lures us in terms of temptation this week to make us glad that's not his presence and his word that God would give us the strength to look at it in the face and say liar. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, would you, would you bless us with the fact that that jesus succeeded and jesus triumphed and jesus won where we didn't and that doesn't give us a license to go wild because he did that gives us grace and strength and hope to rely on him because now we are we are armed with the power of the spirit and with the one who has endured all things And with your word. This is the time of year when Satan comes after us. And so as we read in a book this week, would you give Madison Heights this week grace to believe in what your word says and not what our eyes see. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.